Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt, and I am a science enthusiast. I am speaking from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people. I would like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. Once again, I am joined, as per usual, by my lovely, 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 so ever so lovely co-host, Kate. How are you doing today, Kate? You know, you, every time you? you introduce me, you just throw the word lovely in there it's so many times that I it loses any sense of being genuine. I want to think of more adjectives, and I just honestly struggle to think of more adjectives other than lovely. <laughs> it's like lovely. you glitch. You're like, lovely, <laughs> I just lovely, kind of lovely. end up on a the, feedback the, loop, just lovely. keep going and going and going, and I'm like, someone save me. Ah! Well, I am, in fact, lovely, so you're lucky. Um, and yeah, I'm here. My name's Kate. I'm a neuroscientist, the regular scientist on this show. Um, I am recording, as usual, from lands traditionally owned by the Wurundjeri people. And I'm very excited because today I am not the only scientist on the show. We have, once again, another exciting guest here today come to talk about some cool science. Um, So we're joined by Meg. Hey, how's it going, Meg? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, not at all. So, yeah. Do you want to... Yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell the listeners why you're here. (laughs) So I'm here because uh, Kate and I did FameLab very recently, which is a competition where you have to describe your research in three minutes, which is very hard to do. It's a wild, right? It is incredibly hard. That's why we take like an hour on the podcast because three minutes is just not. Yeah. It makes me respect, you know, the people who run SciShow and stuff like that are able to condense Mm. that stuff really, really far down. Yes. So my research is in, I guess it's called games user research, or um, another term is human-computer interaction. But my Mm -hmm. initial training was in physics, and so I was a science teacher for a while as well. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I am also, like Matt, uh, coming from uh, lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people. Nice. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show and to talk about, essentially what I'm hearing is that we're going to be talking about video games. Yes. Like, <laughs> we're going to be talking about gaming. Fuck yes. Um, Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Which, yeah, I just saw Matt's face like <laughs> light up. Uh, this is, I feel like I'm going to be left out of this conversation. It's just going to be YouTube <laughs> channeling for an hour, but like, that's okay. I can be on board with that. No, hey, I, no have, I have, I have a game about games. brains to talk about. So <gasps> there okay, we I'm, go. In. I'm in, there I'm we sold. Go. You, you know, the way to my heart it's through my brain. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Where do you want to start us off, Meg? Where do you want to? Well, you know... I had a question for you. What do you mm. play video games and what video games are you playing at the moment? Does my PhD count as a video game? Because <laughs> uh, that's kind of my whole life at the moment. Um, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Mm, mm. I, I go through phases of playing video games and not depending on how much spare time I have. Mm. So I'm kind of in a not phase at the moment, but like, you know, I was big into Pokemon growing up. Like I had the Game Boy emulator on our computer cause we weren't mm-hmm. allowed to own a Game Boy, but I found a way anyway. And you know, that kind of thing. And just any game that I was better than Matt at was Which a was fun most of them, to play weirdly. a game to play was... on the PlayStation growing up because I like. I used to play it a lot more than you did, but then when you would sit down to actually play with me, you would just like utterly destroy me in most of the games we would play, Um, which was fine. I'm not bitter. Um. (laughs) Not at all. That's all right. I feel like if we did some Crash Bandicoot, like Crash Team Racing or Mm. something right now, you'd kick my sorry little ass. I've caught up, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, you have. You have. I'll grant that to you. But no, Matt, I'll let you answer the question because you probably have 
Mm. I, again, I go between phases of either playing or not playing, depending how much time I have. And I, I used to play a much more um, diverse range of games, usually a lot of kind of single player story driven RPG kind of stuff, you know, your Skyrims, uh, Jack and Daxter, um, Bloodborne, stuff like that. Oh, yes. Um, but these days, honestly, like for the last year or two, I've pretty much only played two games and I feel like such a basic bitch for it, but it's either Minecraft or Apex Legends. Um, Very nice. <laughs> which Minecraft, everyone knows the block game, uh, basically Lego the video game and Apex Legends is just a an online battle royale first person shooter type game. Like if you're familiar with Fortnite or PUBG, it's, it's sort of like that mm -hmm. um, for those who are mm. unaware of those games. But that's pretty much religiously all I've been playing for the last year or two over lockdown. Just one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've recently started playing Minecraft again because uh, my nieces mm -hmm. and nephews have started playing and so we've been playing together and uh, they're in Norway and so when we're sleeping, they'll go and build things and then when they're sleeping, we'll go and build things. And oh, that's so, nice. like, cool. When we wake up in the morning, we go, oh, what have they built today? And so that's kind of... <laughs> That's a really cool way to stay like virtually in contact yeah. with people, you know, that isn't just Zoom. And for them, it's like their very first time playing Minecraft. So yeah, like we're right. showing them all this stuff and they're like, oh, how do you do that? Oh, Redstone. Oh, amazing. You know, so um, to them, it's all new. So it's quite interesting mm. to see it through someone's eyes where, you know, it's their first time. Yeah. Uh, which is really sweet. So, yeah, um, I wanted to talk primarily about um, a bunch of games that are based around citizen science because I thought that might That's be cool. up your alley. So mm. um, for those who don't know, citizen science is when scientists have really large data, data sets that they can't just physically analyse by themselves because it's going to take a million years. So they mm -hmm. uh, crowdsource the data analysis where possible and get or data collection um, and mm. so they get citizens anyone and they try and make it as easy as possible for anyone to be involved there's lots of different project projects across many areas of science where you can either contribute data um so it's like bird watching frogs uh, like you can take photos or record things and send them into the scientists or the other side of the coin is you can help them with the data analysis um, yeah, right. So there's a lot of projects where the scientists will train AI to help them analyze the data, but AI is never, ever perfect and yeah. will have biases and problems. So humans are really, really good at pattern recognition. Um, so what they do is through the data analysis, they'll train you or show you how to do the data analysis. And usually they'll try to make it into a game or make it as fun as possible or as easy as possible. Um, and then, so you're saying that my PhD could be a game yes. and it's just, it's just uh. not because I'm doing it wrong. Probably. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, and so, yeah. And so they're basically helping scientists analyze all this data. There's, um, some games I wanted to talk about where, the citizen scientists are actually listed as authors on journal papers that have come oh, that's out. That's really cool. From so. the research that they've helped do. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. you know, obviously it's like hundreds of authors on these papers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you get, you know, put as et al yeah. in most <laughs> yeah. situations, but you're on there. Yeah, <laughs> you're so part of that et al. Two of the big ones uh, that have been around for a few years now and are still going strong. So the first one is called Fold It. And it's all about protein folding. Um, so oh, yeah. I'm I'm physical scientist, so this is 
kind of out of my field a little, <laughs> but basically mm. proteins like fold up in different ways. And so the levels of fold are designed such that what they want you to do is um, try and unfold the protein, I think, um, in as little moves as possible. So it's like oh, a right. cool little puzzle kind of game. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a little puzzle thing and there's no one answer. So they're trying and then they compare your answers to the answers that the AI came up with. And sometimes people can come up with the more like streamlined solution mm. yeah then the ai yeah the um, ai might take a linear approach but the human might make a connection that's a bit more outside the box a bit more yeah. abstract but yeah and so the other one um that's still going strong is called iwire and i as in e-y-e iwire mm -hmm. uh which mm -hmm. is all about mapping the neurons in our brains yes so Tell they've got <laughs> uh they've separated their data into little cubes or little chunks so mm -hmm. 3D cubes, and you're looking at it, the slices from the 3D cubes, so 2D picture mm -hmm. images, and mm -hmm. you're trying to map or highlight certain neurons within that those images, um, kind of like using paint fill. You know, sometimes around the edges yeah. it just doesn't quite match up. Mm. Um, and they've discovered um, new types of neurons, and apparently. They've, the community has voted and named six new types of neurons and there's a whole bunch of list of papers that they've oh, wow. contributed to through playing this game and they have like leaderboards and, um, you know, like challenges and stuff like that throughout. The, this is go. incredible. Awesome. I, I need to – why didn't I know this existed? So you could this turn so your cool. PhD research data analysis <laughs> into, into a, a game. game. Are these <laughs> games free to play or yes. – so these Amazing. two yeah. are free to wow. play. Anyone can play. You just go online and Google folders. All right. We will link these in the description. Yeah. Yeah, I, we will I find the links to these <laughs> games and whack them yeah. in the description because, yeah, this is cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, they've kind of gamified mm. data analysis and um, turned it into a little Brilliant. game for, the, uh, for anyone to help them out with their data analysis. And with iWire, uh, look, I'm not an expert on the brain. You are, but they were saying, you know, <laughs> there's up to – 80 million neurons is that I don't know if that's right oh, there's there is some obscene number yeah, of neurons but they're, in so the they're brain that I to, cannot remember the number but yeah there's a yeah. lot there's so like, they've got yeah. images of the brain and they're trying to like classify and map all of these neurons and how they're connected yeah. and it's just there's so many that's, there that's that boggles my mind even as a concept like you know I'm doing as part of my current project I'm doing a little bit of mapping just trying to figure out which brain regions mm. connect to each other and like that's just such a time and labor intensive process to just figure out, you know, gross brain regions and how they map onto each other, let alone at the individual neuronal level, trying to map every single neuronal like path. And because some of them branch and so one neuron can connect to multiple neurons and like mapping that whole thing is just yeah. like, oh my gosh, wild. But also I mean like the world's funnest like puzzle game yeah. ever that makes sense why you would need to outsource that that it would instantly oh, yeah, become definitely. like just exponentially cut down your workload yeah well just, it's not there physical. is genuinely not the funding to you know mm. give enough phd students yeah. the scholarships <laughs> to do this work but like let's say you had infinite money it's not even physically possible for one person to spend their lifetime playing this non-stop mm. and like finish like that's mm. just how much data and like how yeah. much work there is involved in 
getting this task done. And so the like with Folded... The 100% completion challenge. <laughs> yeah. So like with Folded, they're using the data that they get from people playing the game. And so they'll have multiple... What they do is when you start, they put you on training levels and they sort of mm -hmm. assess your accuracy and they give you feedback to improve your accuracy. Um, but they use they get multiple people to map uh, one section. So they're using results mm -hmm. from multiple people and then they're also comparing that to AI um, and then combining yeah. that to get the best outcome, which is better yeah. than using AI alone and better mm. than using people alone. Yeah, that's so clever. Yeah. Oh, aren't scientists so clever? That's a very, very <laughs> um, innovative solution. Very innovative. Yes. So the other side of this that I wanted to talk about was not only have we got citizen science projects that have been gamified, but we have mm -hmm. people embedding citizen science projects into commercial video games. Oh, what? Yeah. So there's a, what? there's a few different people doing it, but the main one uh -huh. is a research group called Massively Multiplayer Online Science, uh, MMOS mm -hmm. for short. They're based in, um, I think they're in Reykjavik mm -hmm. and they initially, they've got about four projects that they've done now. So they initially started with a game called Eve Online, which is... I'm familiar with that. I've had that advertised to me relentlessly. Yeah. Massive, oh, really? Massively multiplayer online game. Um, it's kind of like space warfare, mining, um, you know, all sorts. So it's got many, many, a bit huge player base. Um, what they did was they worked with the developers from that game and they embedded... Uh, similar to iWire and Fold It, like a little citizen science thing within EVE Online. And the way they did it was um, they called it Project Discovery. And so you can go to a, it's like a mini game within the, within oh, yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah. And you got in-game rewards yep. like loot, you know, um, maybe mm -hmm. like a rare outfit or something or, mm -hmm. or money, you know, in-game currency for completing the citizen yeah. science tasks. Um, cool. their first one was about human protein analysis. So it's like looking at cells and color coding mm. and identifying areas of the cell. Um, then they did one about finding exoplanets. Uh, so they had oh. certain data and you had to see if you could classify or find where an exoplanet might possibly be. Um, oh, and the cool. current one is to do with COVID-19 and the human body's immune response to COVID-19 so it's looking at data from flow cyto cytometry mm -hmm. um I'm not an expert in this like I said <laughs> physical science. but um so you're looking at images from that and helping them classify and identify certain parts of the images um to help I don't know if it's map is the right word but help look at how our immune system is responding to COVID-19 to help with the, the yeah. research on that Wow. So they partner with university research projects that have large data sets mm. like this and then embed it into mm. EVE Online as a mini into game. Into video games yeah. to just like trick non-scientists. Cool. Well, not trick non-scientists into and, helping out. And that's out, a but like, really good game yeah, of choice as well. Like yeah. you couldn't do it with every single video game. Like you couldn't go on Call of Duty Modern Warfare or something yeah. like that and be like, all right, analyze these cells. Those guys wouldn't be into it. But even an MMO that's based in space, a sci-fi based game, you know that demographic is probably mm. going to be interested in participating in this kind of thing mm. and find a novelty in that. That's so that's true. that's yeah. Really and they and they they weaved it into the stories. So they had some science characters based on real the real scientists they were working with put in the game. Um, oh my god, I have a new life goal <laughs> is to be represented as be a, in a video like game. a mad scientist oh character in a no, video game. No, but they game. weren't mad scientists. It was like uh, oh. because it's well, like sci-fi theme. It was like 
Uh, <laughs> here's this scientist character. They're going to tell you about this mini game that you can play. And, and they weaved it into the story of EVE Online. So it made sense for it to be within that game. Yeah. Um, but oh, they were also no, like very clear, like, oh, this is contributing to real world research. He, if you want to read more, here's the links. So it yeah. wasn't, they weren't trying to trick people. That's it awesome. was very, yeah, yeah. um, it's a very community-minded game. There's very strong mm-hmm. community groups on there. And so um, they were like, look, yeah. this is going to be helping helping these scientists. Um, mm. And so another recent one was a pretty, yeah, same group. They mm-hmm. put a mini game into Borderlands 3. Oh, uh, I, I do love Borderlands. Ooh. Yeah. So within the this is cool. ship, which is like your home that you keep coming mm. back to in between missions, there's like a terminal where you can go play a mini game that kind of looks a little bit like Tetris. Um, it doesn't quite operate by the mm-hmm. same rules, but it's very similar. And so mm. the um, you can help play that mini game. To, uh, and that project is about helping map the gut microbiome to help understand what? more about that. How? How is a, a Tetris-style minigame in Borderlands yeah. helping map the gut microbiome? Like, this is blowing my mind. This is the coolest shit I have ever heard. <laughs> so, yeah, so they um, that's probably their first foray outside of EVE Online. But, uh-huh. again, they're trying to put it in a space that makes sense within the game. So it was, I yeah. think it's like... Not the Moxie yeah. character, but the the Doctor character. What's her name? I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But she's on the ship, and it's like near that area. Mm, um, yeah, oh, it's yeah. been so long since I've played. But yes, yeah. So they're trying Amazing. to embed it within existing large scale commercial video games to tap into yeah. those larger player bases to help, like, because uh, you're already playing games, you're already interested in games. You know, yeah. oh, here's another like little mini game you can play and get and well, again the mini games were always like the most exciting part of like I don't know I used to play a lot of Crash Bandicoot um when I was younger and just like finding those little mini games on the side even though they were like seemingly kind of shitter than the main gameplay main yeah. story or whatever it was always such a novelty to find them and get them and like you know and you get the bonus life at the end yeah. and it's you know yeah so again um, you can get rare or like exclusive in-game loot from yeah. playing that mini game, so that was. But the, it's actually helping real scientists yeah, do real yeah. science, mm. and they're not like I said, they're not trying to hide that fact. They make that cl- yeah, like, yeah, very yeah. obvious because that might be part of someone's motivation. I feel like that's part like, of the to appeal, partake right? In that game, it's like, oh, cool, I get to do real science, even though I'm not a scientist. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, that's so that's so incredibly cool. I have a question about maybe the technical side of it, right? If you're making sure. a game that's being used to collect data for science stuff what if the game doesn't work properly there are bugs and that means that the data you're collecting has errors or is not quite inaccurate does or is not quite accurate sorry do does that get taken into account when it comes to these things yeah look i'm gonna say that i'm not on these teams making these games but i can guarantee you that that all of that would happen nothing is smooth sailing (laughs) in data collection but in saying that there's also all this stuff that goes wrong and errors that happens in regular data collection too. So you would have mm. to take that into account. It's called, usually you do a thing called cleaning the data or um, like yeah. you remove like random outliers or, or incomplete results and things like that. So you would still have to undertake that process as per normal mm. with this stuff. Um, and yeah, so yeah, um, I know iWire, which has been going for a few years, they regularly patch and update um, and change things up, like introducing the challenges and the leaderboards or, or 
um, like from compared to when it first started, there's a lot more newer features. It's easier to use and play and inter- interact with the interface than it used mm-hmm. to be. Um, so they are, they do improve um, and fix, and they would definitely at least test with a smaller group before publicly releasing. Right. Um, to to iron out anything major. Yeah. Um, and like I said, typically they'll use the tutorial space or, or an int- initial test with the person to like assess your accuracy or like Mm. at least make sure you're doing the right thing um Mm -hmm. within the game so those levels that data is like not counted towards the data analysis yeah Mm -hmm. um it lets you muck around and explore without mucking up that data analysis yeah but yeah that's that's why they would combine any player data with Mm, ai data to and, you have and, that external control Yeah, factor. and also have multiple players analyze the same piece of data, not just one person, mm, to yeah. improve the validity of the human side of the data analysis. Mm. Well, because there's always going to be human error as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's, I guess, where the advantage of using these, like, massively popular games where you get so many people. Like, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you have any idea of the ballpark number of people that sort of play these sorts of games. I don't, but it would be thousands upon thousands upon thousands, <laughs> tens exactly. of thousands. Exactly, yeah. Um, so that's quality control in and of itself because, you know, obviously if someone, if there are one or two that are getting like vastly different sort of answers or results or whatever that are vastly sort of different, mm-hmm. you'll notice that they're outliers and you'll be able to, you know, control So in that. a way it yeah. would be like troll proof as well. So if someone just wanted to come on and be like, I'm going to do all the wrong answers just to fuck up the results, you would be able to yeah. sift that away as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, one or even a small group of people purposely doing the wrong thing would not throw off those results. You're going to be able to see or automatically filter out those sort of outliers. That's so interesting and it's so clever because it's just like, I don't know, it's just opened my mind up to all these possibilities of like, you know, not just the data analysis side but say like data collection, you know, when when things like Pokemon Go took off around the world and everyone was doing this. Like if there was some sort Mm -hmm. of data collection inbuilt into that game, like I know I've got this app on my phone called WebEx which is Mm -hmm. to do with like reporting. It's a citizen science, like you report the weather, if any extreme weather events around you and you can upload photos or whatever and it's like a, you know. nice. That sort of thing that's not hugely popular but, like, embed it into something like Pokemon Go and yeah. you've just got this whole new world and way of data collection and data analysis that, you know, some of the biggest hurdles that science is facing at the moment is, like, a lack of funding, right? And, we, you know, doing stuff like this seems like a way that we can get, I don't know. And it's not like data collection infrastructure isn't already in place right with a lot of the technology we use it just goes to marketers and things like that it's collecting different sorts of data you know there's another Mm. one i totally forgot to mention which is also awesome so it's an app that you can play for free called sea hero quest as in s-e-a-c the ocean Mm -hmm. sea hero quest pirating and it's it's designed it looks like a regular mobile game and uh you're in a little boat and there's a story Mm involved and there's a few different types of levels and you're navigating the boat through like little mazes or um Mm -hmm. you know things like that but basically it's all designed around dementia and alzheimer's research and looking at people's memory and ability to navigate and remember 
things. And so the levels and tasks are designed around um, certain types of memory tasks and navigation tasks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can opt in to send them your de-identified sort of age, gender, and uh, I think it's just age and gender data. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to, you don't have to. You can still play the game mm-hmm. without providing that information. And then they've since published research of these data sets and shown how um, what they were looking for is better early detection tests for Alzheimer's mm. and dementia, looking at when does the memory start degrading, um, how early can we detect that with these sorts of tests, or what does the normal look like for yeah. a vast majority of people um, across different age groups so that maybe then we can identify these outliers of people with dementia and Alzheimer's earlier. Like That's that. so clever but the game the game is designed like it's just a good game on its own without even knowing that Mm. it's also a data collection mechanism for these researchers it was so it was designed to be a data collection mechanism for this very specific research um but they've made it an amazing game that that doesn't surprise me right i feel like a lot of um mobile games these days are very centered around the idea of you know microtransactions and that kind of thing you'll you'll download a game for free and you'll be bombarded with about seven ads per turn unless you pay x amount of money and even if you pay the money the gameplay itself isn't that good it's just designed to kind of farm money from people so it makes sense to me that if a game came around that had good intentions other than profit it's its goal was to get you know, data to research Alzheimer's, they'd try and make sure their game stood above all of these ones that are just raking in all of the money. So they're like, all right, we have to make a good game here. Let's make something that people actually want to play since our goal isn't profit. It's the betterment of humanity. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like these games, uh, mobile games and regular video games collect a lot of um, data or data telemetry, sometimes it's called, anyway about their users regardless Mm. of if they're doing research or not because what they Mm. want to do is look at um, especially from company bigger companies that have a bit more money behind them they'll employ user researchers and what they're looking for is um, with ongoing games like apex overwatch Mm. you know or massive like online games like world of warcraft what they're looking to do is improve the user experience so Mm. to reduce frustrations and make the user experience better or maybe they made a bunch of changes recently to an online competitive game and they want to make sure those changes are balanced, make sure one hero isn't like winning out unfairly over others and things like that. So they're doing research on the users anyway to improve the game. So they had, like you said, they have all those systems in place Mm. to collect that anonymized data from your system. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you can opt out uh, within the settings of that data collection, um, but sometimes you can't. Um, And so it's, it seems like a, a logical choice for then science research or other research mm. with other goals mm. in mind to come along mm. and benefit off that. It doesn't happen often, these partnerships, because they're commercial companies and research yeah. is usually, you know, science research is usually not for profit and they, they have a bit more different goals in mind. So um, it's mm. great to see yeah. these pa- partnerships happening more. And I'd love to see more of these partnerships happening. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes it's hard to work with the commercial companies because they're, pr- they're very protective of that data and they don't want other people to have yeah. access to that outside of their staff and, and their company. So yeah. it's, it's that difference in purpose, I guess, 
um, yeah, sometimes hard to reconcile. Yeah. Because mm. they're Which like, well, what, what do we get out of it as a commercial company if we, we let mm. you into our game or, or mm. into our data? Exactly. And, like, you know, you could have these scientists making a small startup an indie game that like you know is designed for the purpose but then you know you've got to do all the the commercial side of it anyway to get it out there and to get people yeah. get enough people actually playing your game for it yeah. to be viable so obviously the easier way is to hook onto these already like pre-existing commercial yeah popular so that's um, why it was so exciting to see the mmos group making those um mini games within the existing commercial games and have mm. experiencing so much success so i'm hoping that we'll see more companies, commercial companies mm. jumping in on that and, and making partnerships with research groups and, and helping further research in that way. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Well, it's We're exciting. Hopeful. Like Gearbox is a huge company, so it's really yeah. exciting to see them have a successful partnership with MMOS and make that mini game yeah. for Borderlands 3. So I'm hoping that mm. example, now that we have a successful example to point to yeah. and go, hey, we did it with Borderlands. Hey, this works. Why yeah. are we not doing this more? Like, you know, there is no losing party here as far as I can see. Like, I suppose something that would help with that as well is public awareness about it because I had no idea well, that true. this was a I thing no until idea. this discussion now. Um, I, I haven't played Borderlands 3. I only played um, pre-sequel and 2. Um, I never got around to getting the third one. Um, but now I kind of want to get it because science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Now, go, go. Hear that, gaming companies. Of... I will be likely to purchase your game if you put science in it. You should put science <laughs> in it and then I will give you money. There's your incentive. My money. You want my money, right? I'll give you money huh. and data. How about that? <laughs> some some little punk in Perth that has a podcast <laughs> stated that he would give this massive multi-million dollar company money. They're going to change their mind now. At the very uh, least, my targeted advertising is going to change a bit after the recording, <laughs> I feel. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, I have a question. It's slightly tangential in a way but it seems fitting because we've got gaming and neuro together um y'all remember luminosity when that came out the the brain training game thing oh yes how, how like valid is that in terms of one how much does it actually do good for your brain two were they I don't know. Did they have good intentions? I just remember seeing it advertised heaps years ago and haven't heard anything about it since. Number one, I'd say I'm pretty sure Luminosity is for profit. So their mm -hmm. intentions are marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. In saying that, there are games that can improve your thinking skills or your problem solving skills. Mm -hmm. whether that's luminosity or not you know it doesn't have to be luminosity um <laughs> i think i will say in terms of luminosity i do remember reading a study mm. that came out in the last handful of years i can't remember the year and i don't but like that found no evidence for specifically luminosity brain games um mm. in terms of translating improvements into cognitive function like, yeah so usually they're very specific improvements like with the dr kawashima's brain training on on the ds mm. nintendo mm -hmm. um that was like mental maths right so yeah you're going to mm. improve your mental maths which is well, great athletics definitely helped yeah. me growing <laughs> up as a kid remember mathletics uh, <laughs> i do but I like sure do. how long does that affect last 
and whether that translates into benefits in other areas is mm. really um, not proven, I would say. But in saying that, um, you know, as you get older, anything that keeps your brain active is better than nothing. So that could mm-hmm. be as simple as crosswords and Sudoku, but mm. video game, there are some video games, you know, my favorite puzzle games, mm. where you are mm. using your brain and logic to solve problems. They are good games to keep your brain active. I'm not saying that mm. you're going to suddenly be able to do calculus having not been able to do it for, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not mm. suddenly going to. It's not a miracle. No. But I think there were definitely a role for like, I mean, not just mathletics. Like, do you remember, I don't know if you ever played, but it was like Space Invaders, but maths. Was it called Maths Invaders or something yeah. where you had to do the multiplication or the sum really quickly we before the thing had that on a, on a disc on our old PC. Yeah. Oh, there ago. was like a touch typing one as well where you got really good at touch typing yeah. because of these like games because the castle was getting like, you know, catapulted and you had to type the words fast enough to put up the barricades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they improve, you know, they do help. improve those very specific skills. Mm. Yeah. Why isn't all education done via games? Uh, because Why did we <laughs> make this decision that people have grown out of this? Like, I have not grown out of <laughs> wanting to learn via game. Few reasons. One, uh, most there's no money to be made in educational games in the sense that schools aren't for-profit companies. So yeah, right. if, like, let's say you're a commercial video game company, if you're making a game to be used in a school, it's a very hard sell because A, the schools don't have any money to pay for your yeah. game and B, yeah. you almost have to have already proven that the game works before they'll buy it. But how can yeah. you prove it works if no schools are if like... no ones are taking is, it off to yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's I no incentive the for commercial video game companies to make really awesome, good educational games. Mm. Um so a lot of not-for-profits and, and other companies do make them, but they don't have the same polish as, like, let's say, a AAA commercial video yeah. game. Mm. And that's not to say – so there are some good educational games out there, but they're far and few between compared to the range of commercial games And I think games a, we have. a child is mm. going to want to play some of the more commercial games a lot more than they're going to want to play the right. rusty um, indie. I don't know, man. Game. Like, I, I, I loved uh, those – those like math but it's down athletics. to like what you have access to as well we loved those True. games because you know if i was because in the classroom we on the given. school computer that w- it was either like do my work or play this game i'm gonna play this yeah. game um I rather feel than like, play this educational game or play this non-educational play game Creed. you like, know like those were not the options so there's i think there's a new trend over the last few years where people are using bigger commercial games in the classroom and just adapting lessons to suit the game. So my big one that I use a lot Mm. and I've been helping a lot of teachers out with is Minecraft. So Mm. there's a version of the game that's existed for quite a few years called Minecraft Education Edition. Before that, it was Minecraft EDU. Um, But since Microsoft took over Minecraft, um, (laughs) they've been pushing Education Edition a lot more because they have already have a presence Mm. in the educational space. They're a big company. It doesn't matter to them if it makes money or not uh, because they have the commercial side of it already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And a lot of kids just like engagement goes up. Um, A lot of them are already into it. So it's a really good tool to bring in to drive engagement in like I used it initially for earth science because I was trying to teach the types of rocks and the rock cycle and the kids <laughs> yeah. are just like Minecraft would be an excellent educational tool. You'd have like the whole geography side of it. You can teach circuitry using redstone stuff. Yep. You can teach yep. math really easily. And now easily. like 
Yeah, so the okay, education true. edition also has now they have a chemistry add-on, so you can make oh. uh, compounds what? and, oh gosh, and yes. elements, and there's a like coding. synthetic chemistry, but Minecraft. Yeah, and so there's a... we had a guest on the podcast who literally was a synthetic chemist, and what did he he describe synthetic chemistry as just spicy Lego for adults? <laughs> so like, do you remember that, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. Was and that so I Declan? feel like that, sounds that was like Declan, Declan yeah. would say. Yeah. That's a very Declan thing to say. Yeah. And that's what he was like. That's all chemistry is. It's just like spicy Lego for adults. So I can see <laughs> how that would translate into a game like Minecraft. In fact, I remember so in um, well. year eight in maths, we were given like a, a takeaway assignment thing where it was something to do with, um, I can't even remember, something to do with ge geometry and like three dimensional space and blocks and that. And this was back when like Minecraft first came out, like the first iterations of Minecraft and a number of my mates were playing it and they asked the teacher if they could do this assignment in Minecraft because they could stack up the blocks and calculate mm. it that way and the teacher let them. So then to submit their assignment, they brought out like printouts of the screenshots of them doing this problem in <laughs> Minecraft. This was back in like 2011 no. and it was great. They got great marks for it. And yeah. I wish that I had did that, but I didn't quite jump on the trend until a little bit later, sadly. So um, yeah, now like I've seen students submitting work where like they design a bridge in Minecraft or like a sustainable house and like all sorts of things. So for 3D mm. thinking and representation in maths, it's yeah. like fantastic because suddenly you have a 3D space you can play around with and it's very yeah. hard to conceptually develop those understandings on a 2D piece of paper. Um, mm, so it's kind of like a digital version of, you know, the MAB, the like one centimeter cubed little blocks oh, that gosh, you might have played with. Oh gosh, the little wooden cubes yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you would use as a teacher, you would use those, those, um, hands-on tools, but then also like, okay, now we're going to do it digitally and Minecraft mm -hmm. just op offers a really good space for that to happen because it's based on cubes already. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so clever. So, yeah. And then there's other games like, although it wasn't designed for education, Kerbal Space Program. Oh, um, I love that game. <laughs> so they're about to release Kerbal Space Program too, but because it's based on real physics and there's just a lot of maths and science inherent in the game anyway, it's a really natural and good commercial game to bring in for like specifically for your 11 and 12 physics. It's got a bit of a learning curve, which yeah. makes me hesitant to bring it in for younger age groups because it's not as easy to learn. Um, but it's fun a fun playground to play with those concepts and see your spaceship explode or, like, yeah. not get off the ground. And <laughs> or like, yeah. I think most um, of the gameplay I've done in Kerbal Space Program is loading up as many boosters as possible to the rocket <laughs> and seeing how far it goes before it all falls you apart would. and explodes while crashing the computer at the same time. Because um, the other thing is, like, how else would you do that in the classroom? You can't really do that mm. physically because we're not really allowed to play with rockets. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Um, <laughs> Because it's not safe enough. Um, <laughs> so, like, the rockets you can play with or, you know, like, you know, the little uh, film canister, baking soda and vinegar. Oh, of, yes. You know, things like that. So yes. it allows you, like, the games allow you to mess around with stuff that it's you... It's a simulator. It's yeah, a, it's that a, you It's a physics do. simulator that's accessible for young people. Otherwise, or at least, like, yeah, mm. with Kerbal, yeah, I reckon probably more for high school kids, but yeah. still... And so you know. some games companies, if you get into contact with them, will give you free or discount copies for education purposes, which is nice, or research oh, purposes. Nice. Good to <laughs> um, know. But it's always nice, like, it's always good to ask if, you're, if you have a game that you really do want to use in those spaces because sometimes mm. they will um, help you out. So another one I used 
where they gave me pretty much free copies or discount copies was um, a few years ago was a game called Contraption Maker, which was based on an older game called The Incredible Machine, where it's basically you make Rube Goldberg chain reaction machines. Um, And so we use that to look at, talk about energy transfer and transformations and like just things like that. And the the kids made like the craziest contraptions and it was really fun to see them be creative in science because it's not often that they have that opportunity to express themselves in an experiment, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, to do an act, well, actual I say you know real life non-simulated version of the experiment you'd need a lot more funding a lot more access to lab grade equipment that is not going to be accessible to the majority of people so like and I suppose that would also be something that would be a bit of deterrence for a lot of kids from science is the lack of a creative aspect to it in a lot of ways mm, a lot of it is very people don't realize how creative science actually need yeah to be. exactly like, so giving the kids a, a, a way that they understand to be creative within this context mm. amazing mm. yeah so i think that's why minecraft is really the education edition is taking off a lot more in the last few years because and i think because of it's it's been around for a while kids are into it a lot more teachers who aren't gamers are seeing the value of using it as a tool which is good so mm-hmm. i first use it in my classroom in 2013 or 2014 um and that was a real challenge because a I couldn't find any resources so I was just making up as I went along and b I had to convince the administration hey can we please spend money on a video game for me to Mm. use in the classroom whereas Mm. now um a lot of schools across Australia actually if you're a Microsoft school and you have office you may already have free access to education edition um through the school um, and your school account. And I know my university, the university students also have it on their Office 365. So you can like get Ooh, freely. I'm going to have to check whether You might have to check. Some that. unis do and some don't. Uh, so you can download ed- and log into Education Edition for free with your education like email mm-hmm. account. Um, and so it's a lot easier to access and convince people to start using it. And now online there's a whole bunch of resources like lesson plans and worlds and like people wow. have, they can go download like Pompeii, ancient Pompeii and like oh my go gosh. explore Pompeii or that's the pyramids. So cool. or like, and yeah, like that's so, so cool. There's a lot more out there to make it easier for people who aren't familiar with it to pick it up and run with it and and have a successful experience with it oh my gosh to me video games make sense as an education tool because if we've been using like educational videos for x number of time in a classroom yeah you know, true that's, it's that's just a an passive interactive form of taking in inf- information you've got an active form where you can actually mm. get in and move around and i'm looking forward to see where um the improvements in vr and ar take yeah, this kind of thing and true. how VR in the classroom and AR in the classroom. Well, in undergrad, we really actually cool. got to use a VR thing to to learn. It was anatomy. It was neural anatomy and essentially the basal ganglia. So inside your brain, in like the inner parts of your brain, you've got all these different nuclei called the basal ganglia and they fit together in a very specific sort of puzzle way. And this guy at, it was, this was at UWA, 
um, had like come up with this VR program where you like, you put the goggles on, you have your thing and the, the basal ganglia and the brain is all disassembled in front of you and it's a race and you've got to put the right parts together. And me, like that helped me learn the anatomy and how the brain fits together and where different brain regions spatially sit because I'm just so competitive. And I was like, I have to be the fastest <laughs> at this. So I played it over and over again. And I got really good at it, but now I know brain anatomy like so well. Like it's, like I, you know, and that's just like the most basic, simple version of that. Mm. Like if we can take that concept and run with it, like, yeah, I don't so know, there might be. Yeah, yeah, there's heaps of great ones emerging and existing. It's just like, I still like, as I've done through my PhD, I still like come across this taboo against games video games for anyone older than like let's say primary school so it's this oh, yes because we're serious now we're adults we don't like to <laughs> we don't have play fun games we, we read books yeah we read books watch tv and movies yeah that's okay to learn from but not games so it's it's <laughs> not games. it's mm. i find it really hard slug like if i talk to someone who plays mm. games as a hobby they immediately can see the benefits but if i talk to someone who mm. doesn't play games as a hobby they they see it as a childish thing which is not valuable or or a valuable form of media so it's it can be mm. quite difficult to have a conversation with them about the potential benefits of like whether that's learning or citizen science about playing mm. games when they're immediately sort of prejudiced or biased against it. Yeah, they've already written it off as something that they're better than. Exactly. And especially if you come from a hard science um, Mm. where you're very quantitative based and and they're a bit older, I find it it's really hit Mm. and miss as to whether they're open to the idea Mm. of games being a serious, valid tool. I feel Um, like that kind of also fits in with like the broader conversation and issue that's kind of happening at the moment. I don't know if you've picked up on it just in terms of like science communication as a concept, you get your older sort of scientists that are very much like, no, science should not be accessible. We need to write everything in jargon and you only get to access that science if you've done, you know, if you've been privileged enough to have the education that makes you scientifically literate. And then you've got this kind of new wave of people like you and me who are very passionate about science communication and making that science accessible to people that haven't had this sort of education to be able to understand the jargon. And it's kind of, I feel like there's this real kind of butting of heads within academia at the moment about whether it's the responsibility of scientists or whoever to make this scientific knowledge or whatever accessible to people. Mm. And do we do that in a way that's fun and engaging and whatever, or do we stick with writing jargon laden journal articles that are hidden behind paywalls? Like, (laughs) you know, it's this broader clash that, Hopefully, I think we're shifting in the right direction, though. Yeah, like um, I've um, – so I did science communications at ANU for a year mm-hmm. in 2008, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was amazing. And so I've been surrounded by this great group of people and scientists who um, believe in that mission, and so I've come mm. across less people who are against it, but I can definitely yeah. see – that oh, being an attitude exist. oh yeah Trust no I, I, yeah, I and so I I there's I think there's great value in it I mean as you can see with the pandemic the better we can understand how things work and and what's going on the hopefully mm. the better um it is for life in general like with the pandemic it's like okay understanding why a lockdown is necessary and how to mm. best prevent um, you know, why is a two-week isolation period necessary? Why do I need to go get vaccinated? That's all really, really important that mm. we communicate that in a way that people understand. There's no, like, 
a regular person is not going to read a journal article. And I'm not no. saying I'm not saying a game is the yeah. answer, but um, it is super. A important. game can be part of the answer, though. Yeah, like, it's super super important for yeah. these discoveries, which do impact our lives and our decision making, that they are accessible to as many people mm. as possible in as many forms as possible. There's no point yeah. making these amazing discoveries and and advances right, and if then people don't. Them. Exactly. People can't use or understand them. I completely agree. And so with that, we're running out of time and we're going to need to shuffle onto the listener question real soon. But before we do, it's quite a nice place to wrap up, but I thought I would give you the chance if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about today that you haven't had the chance um, or anything that you want to bring up. Now's your, now's your shot. Now's your chance. Uh, (laughs) Not that I can think of. (laughs) No, no, good. That's, that's fine. We can... Leave it there because I feel like that leaves us on a very powerful message about yes. not only games but science communication in general, which I feel like we talk about a lot on this podcast as a science mm. communication word, science <laughs> communication podcast. Uh, we mm. get very meta and we're like, this is why we matter. Uh, <laughs> we're just very passionate about the topic. It's well, you know, I hate misinformation so. so much. Uh. I know, I know. It's why we do what we do. Um, and if you love what we do, we have a Patreon. Throw us money. <laughs> we'll get to that. So the funds yes, go directly as... to paying for the Minecraft realm. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's not true. It's not true. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you there, Matt, and drag us all on <laughs> to the listener question. So if you haven't listened to the show before, every episode, or almost every episode, we tackle a listener question that has been emailed in by one of our lovely listeners. You can email your listener questions to curiosityrat at gmail.com. Any question you want, science related is preferable, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you the answer to any of your questions. It might not be true. Um, but the science, the science stuff, I will say I have done the research to answer this question. So this is a question that we got emailed in from Dan and it says, can humans sense magnetic fields? If so, can we sense their direction? If not, do any other animals have this sense? So the sensing of magnetic fields is 100% definitely a thing. And it's mm. called magneto reception or magneto reception, but I of like magneto reception because magneto is like you know wasn't he the villain in X Men? And anyway, I like to think that he can. Yeah, he has yeah. magneto. That's reception probably what that's that villain was named after. The the comic book. Writer I mean, was like oh magneto, that's a cool scientific thing. I'm gonna name a character that. Yeah, no, that sounds legit. Um, so I'm actually gonna answer this question kind of in reverse, right? So let's start with the the end of the question, which was do any other animals have this sense, which is like big yes, absolutely yes. Um, so many animals have this ability. Birds, for example, like we've known for ages that certain bird species have this like remarkable ability to find their way home mm. and hence the use of homing pigeons to carry messages. Like, mm-hmm. you know, birds migrate, That you know. Part of this, for a while we didn't really know why this was a thing. We thought maybe were they using like sunlight or whatever to find their direction. But no, it turns out that this sense of direction is owed in part to their ability to sense the Earth's magnetic field. Um, Same with turtles. They navigate in the water where there's like no light to help. You know, they'll use, they'll sense the magnetic field. Um, Dogs, this one's wild. Dogs have been known to poop with their bodies preferentially oriented north to south. <laughs> what? So dogs can like, I, yeah, we don't know why, but studies have robustly shown that this is a thing. 
Um, they've also been able to train dogs to locate bar magnets. So they essentially did the whole magic trick where it's like, here's three containers. Underneath one of them is a bar magnet. You know, like which container has the magnet? And so given the choice between three containers, they were much better than chance at identifying which container contained the magnet. Moreover, they were better at finding a magnet than finding a food treat using the same setup. Interesting. Ooh, my question is, where are the magnets... Mm protected in a sense to stop them smelling the magnet i'm not sure that's a good question because their sense um, of smell is like amazing yeah and but i guess that's like, where there's a tang to it well that's i guess where the control of doing the same the food, experiment but with yeah. a food treat comes in and the fact that they were better at finding the magnet than the food treat um suggests that it wasn't just the smell of the magnet but potentially the magnetic mm. properties um but once again we still don't really know why or how um also, other animals, foxes, there's evidence that they use this to sense how best to, like, pounce on their prey and improve their hunting abilities. And certain bacteria, bees, rats, whales, cats, like, all of these animals, there has been evidence that they have the ability to sense magnetic fields and almost have this magnetic inbuilt compass, right? We don't really know how it works. There are a couple of different theories to do with either, like, a chemical sensor, um, you know, called a cryptochrome in the eye, or a, you know, there's also been evidence in their brains that there's something called magnetite, which is like a particle, it's like a metal that's like really, really magnetic, one of the world's most naturally magnetic um, substances. Is that a real material and or is that just a theorized no, material? It's <laughs> no, it's real. It's it's 100% okay. real. And it's, it's, <laughs> it sounds it found, made up. Sounds, ma sounds ma no, they named it magnetite because it's so magnetic, right? Right. It was named logically. Um, but they've there have been found trace particles of, like, magnetite in, in the cells of some of these animals and in the brains of animals, including humans. Yeah, right. So Ooh, that's where... Yeah, that's where it gets real spicy and we go, okay, so, yes, this, this sense definitely exists in animals, but, like, does it exist in humans? Like, definitely not consciously, right? Like, where we would be aware of that. We'd be able to yeah. answer that. But maybe, like, subconsciously. Or if humans don't have this sense, like, why don't we have this when all of these other animals do? Like, maybe our ancestors did. Are there some remnants of this sense that we've, like, evolved away from having? Well, as with most of our listener questions, because they're all such fucking good questions... Uh, the answer is like, we don't really know, lol, as always. Um, the evidence so far in terms of humans has been controversial and contradictory. So starting off in like the early eighties, there were some studies that essentially what they did, they took a bunch of people, blindfolded these people, drove them around in like vans or buses or whatever in around these like very convoluted loops around the English countryside. And then they'd stop ask the people to identify which direction they'd ultimately come from. So like which direction was home? Like, do you have a sense of direction? Right. And, and they got pretty significant results from this to show that people did generally have a very intuitive sense of direction or of like which way home was. And, but then like a few years later, a different group of scientists from Princeton tried to replicate the study. They failed to find significant results. So the idea is kind of controversial but also, like, you know, just driving someone around a countryside isn't necessarily, yeah. you know, think of that that scene from, was it one of the Sherlock Holmes movies where, like, Sherlock Holmes was able to figure out where yeah. he was despite That's being blindfolded because he was like, oh, well, you Downey turned left Jr. here. Ones, I think. Yeah, yeah. He was like, well, you turn left here and then right here and whatever. And I felt because that you're... pothole and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. 
because you've got like your vestibular system, which is like mm. in your inner ear, these, oh, they're really cool organs and they have little crystals in them. And it's just, it's wild. I should do a whole episode on the vestibular oh system because it's, it's whack, but it essentially works to sense like direction of the head or movement of the head. And so you can use this sort of to kind of figure out which direction you turned or whatever. So is it your vestibular system that's doing the job or is it your ability to sense Earth's magnetic field? Who knows? Mm. But then, then we have this really cool study that came out in 2019 where we actually might have some evidence that humans can subconsciously like sense a change in the direction of magnetic fields. So essentially this study, what they did is they put participants in this like special chamber that blocks outside interference, right? Their eyes are closed. It's pitch black. Their head is kept perfectly still facing forward. Like there's basically no stimuli except for the changing magnetic field. So they use these like electric coils around the outside of this like chamber to essentially make magnetic fields that rotate in different directions. These are roughly the strength of the earth's magnetic field. And so essentially the whole setup of the experiment made it as though the participant's head was swiveling around in Earth's magnetic field, except without any feedback from your vestibular system, because your head is still, right? It's literally only the magnetic field that is moving, your eyes are shut. And so then what they did is they used something called EEG to see whether the brain waves of the participants were like, whether the brains were subconsciously picking up on the fact that the magnetic field is changing. So EEG, you might have seen like people, videos of people, they, they wear these like caps that kind of look like the water polo caps, except they're covered in electrodes and they're, they're real attractive, real flattering. Um, but what the little things on them are is they're electrodes that sit right on the scalp to measure the quote unquote brain waves. Um, they're actually called neural oscillations if you want to be a neuroscientist about it, but we're going to call them brain waves because that's funnier. Um, but it's essentially these brain waves or electrical activity in the brain happen when you get clusters of neurons firing in sync with each other. And there are several different types okay. of these waves that are classified based on their frequency and their amplitude. And we know that they're associated with different types of like wakefulness, alertness, concentration, calm, or whatever, like different types of waves based on what your brain is doing. So if you're awake but you're relaxed and your eyes are closed, but you're not sleeping. If you're sleeping, you're getting mostly delta waves. But if you're in this like awake, but relaxed with your eyes closed, like the participants would have been in that chamber, the dominant signal in the brain is something called an alpha wave, which is around 10 Hertz um, for those nerds out there who want details um, for most people. But there's these, these alpha waves. So say you're chilling out in this state with a bunch of alpha waves in your brain, but then you like, open your eyes and you get visual input or you hear a sound or you feel a touch. What you see in the alpha waves is that the alpha waves are suppressed by this. It's like the signature of the brain detecting a sensory signal and directing attention towards it, right? So the goal of this study was to get people in this like chilled out state of alpha wave production, eyes shut, head still in this like chamber, and then change the direction of the magnetic field. And that, that's the only bit of sensory information that changes. There's, there's nothing else. It's just a change in the magnetic field direction. And to see whether this magnetic field direction change caused any change in alpha waves. Does it suppress the alpha waves You would the same way that you would expect any other type of sensory sort of stimuli to do, right? And so what they found is really cool. They found like a big range in sensitivity. Like some people had really strong results. Some people had like no results, but there were definitely some people who showed significant alpha wave suppression 
in response to the changing direction of the magnetic fields. Interesting. Yeah. So the, like, the conclusion that you can draw from this is that our brains have this, like, it's completely unconscious. It's subliminal. It's implicit. It's, you know, we can't actually access this sense to, like, use it to navigate the same way some animals might. But our brains do have this ability to pick up changes in the direction of magnetic fields. And so maybe, like, one day in the, like, in our history, our ancestors maybe could tap into that. It was less subconscious and they did use it to navigate. Maybe like, we don't, we don't know, but it seems that, yeah, like when that is the only thing that's changing, there is evidence from the brain that our brain is picking up a sensory signal and putting attention towards it. It'd be interesting to see them do that again and like do a different strength magnetic fields of the yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they just tried to do they they tried to sort of replicate the Earth's magnetic field or like the Earth's magnetic field as it would be at the surface because obviously Earth's magnetic field gets quite strong as you go further away from the Earth, but like Earth's magnetic field as it would affect us, it essentially recreated the same thing as if we were to like change direction and be like you know our internal mm-hmm. compass changed direction. Um, and yeah, like I said, they're still trying to figure out like, is it these magnetite particles? Is it cryptochrome cells? Like, is it a magnetic, uh, sorry, a, like a chemical or a physical signal sensor? Like we don't know and we can't consciously sense it, but yeah, that's kind of where the research is at at the moment is that there is some evidence that like somewhere subconsciously we are picking this stuff up, which like, mm. I think is whack. Like, I think that's really cool. They did throw a spanner in the works. Yeah. Um, Go. Basically, anytime you have an electric current, there's a very weak magnetic field around, mm-hmm. let's say it's like a power cable, there's going to be a very mm-hmm. weak magnetic field around that power cable, especially AC yeah. current. So like, there's mm-hmm. magnetic fields everywhere, not just from yeah. the Earth. Yeah, the um, earth. They're very weak, uh, but yeah, so like, in a modern day mm-hmm. and age, like with technology, there's a lot more magnetic fields around than there would have been before electricity. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point that you bring up because that was actually something that one of the authors on this particular study like brought up in the discussion was like maybe the reason, you know, maybe in the past humans did have the ability to sort of access this sense and use it to navigate. But like these days, you know, you wear overhead headphones like 10 hours a day and you're like, there's no way you can pick up on the earth's changing magnetic like current and have a sense of direction based on that. Like, because there are so many other artificial magnetic fields being produced by all the technology that we use. And so like, that was actually one of the arguments. Did we, did we really have any, do we have any documented evidence of people using magnetic fields to navigate pre all of this technology, even as late as, you know, like just before the industrial revolution or the start of the industrial revolution, like before we started producing all yeah, this electricity no, not and thus consciously. the magnetic fields? Um, but it seems like animals using it to migrate. So I no. guess you'd have to look at like Sorry. human migration, right? We don't Yeah. Know. And also I guess like the, what we do have evidence for is that there are actually a lot of like human languages that don't have words for like front back like side like left right they 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 use Mm. like the cardinal directions of like north south east and west instead and so people that from those cultures perhaps learnt to pay more attention to these like geomagnetic signals Mm. around you and so like they don't actually say oh that tree is in front of me they say that tree is to my north Right. And like that actually exists in several cultures around the world. Mm. And so that could maybe be seen as evidence that 
or or they yeah. paid more attention to what was happening in the sky, like the sun, the moon, mm. the stars. Um, yeah, there are so yeah. many. Like it's such a you know, as with every listener question, I don't have an easy answer for you because <laughs> science hasn't gotten there yet. Because with every answer that science finds, science finds twelve more questions. <laughs> Hopefully, Dan, that answers your question to a satisfactory uh, level. And just remember, if you guys want to email in a listener question of your own, curiosityrat at gmail.com is our email address. And thank you so much, Meg, for joining us today. I, I had a lot of fun with this episode, as I'm sure Matt did as well, as I'm sure our listeners did. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, if our listeners did, in fact, love everything about what you had to say, which of course they did, where can they find you? Where can they find more of you? Probably at uh, on Twitter at Science Ninja Gal G A L. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably the best way. Cool. I will link that down in the description as well. So if you guys want to go find Meg, give her a cheeky follow. Do so. Um, and as always, you can find us at Curiosity Rat on Twitter, Instagram. And we've got a Facebook page, Curiosity Killed the Rat. And as we alluded to earlier in the session, we do now have a Patreon. A lot of time, effort, and energy goes into making these episodes for you guys. And ultimately, we want them to be free. Of course we do. That's the point. We think that science should be free and accessible to anyone who wants it. But if you find yourself, you know, with a few bucks lying around and you really love what you do, what you do... Good for you if you love what you do. But if you love what we do and you want to throw some of that money our way, we would also be incredibly, incredibly grateful for that. So, yes. Yeah. And with that, I think we're done for another episode. I think so. Good work, team. Um, peace out, homies. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Curiosity. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Kill the rat.